Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Hangouts and Headlines. Doesn't my voice sound fantastic this morning? It's so good to see all of you in chat and have you all back. I can tell you this. Mentally, I'm good. I don't have a headache. My ears aren't clogged today. We aren't otherwise belabored by things that have been going around Hoke House for this week. But unfortunately, my voice sounds a little bit like this. So we're going to try to get through this together. I think my voice will hold out. For an entire show, I apologize for its tenor, for its consistency, but I'm very glad to be here with you all. And if we can't make it the whole time, well, at least we had this short time together. Bright side, bright side. Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you. <laughs> Sharon says, uh-oh, Hoag sounds a bit sick. This is actually the, the, the outer end of this. I sounded a lot worse uh, for a long period of time. Uh, but we are going to keep it down at NPR levels. Uh, we will be uh, talking with each other like it's the last hole of the Masters, because that's about what I can do here. But hopefully that's still good enough, because I do have a lot of energy. I do have a lot of things to say. I have been missing you all and have been missing making this content and talking with you all about a lot of things, including this very episode. If you look at what we've actually got prepped behind the scenes here, I think it's 14 tabs because I can't help myself, and we basically missed a week, and missing a week in 2022 is like missing a year in any other decade, and so there's so many things I want to talk on, and I'm very apologetic for the fact that I sound like this, <laughs> but trust that I'm in a good mood, trust that I feel good this morning, um, and uh, I'm trying to set up things for the rest of the week. I really want to hit a lot of this stuff with Elon Musk. I really want to hit a lot of stuff with respect to Microsoft and Activision. So many fun things happening in the world of technology and business and law. And I know my colleagues on YouTube have been taking care of a lot of it. Uh, but I like to get out there and have conversations with you all on mornings like this one. Already 200 people in the chat here at 730 in the morning Eastern time. So I just really appreciate it. You might have seen also that I put up a uh, thumbnail and preparation for uh, Thabto, which if you are new to the channel, and by new I mean uh, have joined the channel in the last 12 months, 12 full months, uh, then you might not be familiar with the Thabto show that we did uh, called Two Hogs Are Better Than One, in which my brother, who's a game designer, comes on and talks games with me. But he doesn't get a chance to do that very often. So for the last two years, give or take, we've limited it to talking over the our favorite games of the year. Uh, over the course of uh, that 12-month that period. So we're going to be doing Best Games of 2022 at a special time on Wednesday at 7 p.m. You know, God willing and throat willing and everything else. But we've got that time allotted. And if you're interested in just joining us and talking about what we think are the best games, Tom will have a re really weird list because he hasn't gotten to play kind of the AAA games, the really high-profile games. So he always has some interesting things to, to tell me about games that he's played and then you'll get to see exactly what i think is a great game in this space as well so that's always a fun one usually multiple hours i'm going to see if we can't have a guest or two pop on and cameo and talk about what their favorite game was we'll see if that works out uh but it'll be a fun time so hopefully you can join us you know it's an evening show that's generally the purview of my colleagues uh, but uh, I think it'll be it'll think it'll be great. And Snoopy Kins, thank you so much for gifting five Hoag Law memberships. That is awesome. Love the YouTube memberships. The YouTube memberships on this channel continue to go up, uh, and that is very cool to see because there's more and more people with the little stars, more and more people uh, joining in the conversation here and on my other live streams. And I think that's just awesome. 
Uh, when I do a catch up on Microsoft Activision, my intent is to do uh, a live stream to start out with just to catch up, right? Just to talk about all the, the hundred stories that people have, have sent me messages on that have texted me on. And I'll probably need help with organizing that, to be honest, because there have been just so many little bits and bobs and twists and turns that people have flagged for me. And that was just killing me. You can imagine this it was just killing me on a random day last week to get, oh, that's such a good, that's such a good idea for a video. I want to talk about these points. Oh, and then because I am who I am, all oh, that people are missing it in this specific way, or it's reported on in this specific way that just isn't fun, uh, isn't right, isn't accurate, isn't helpful. And I want to get into have those conversations again. But we'll see. As you can tell, I'm pretty much back up to speed mentally. I'm back up to speed for the purposes of doing the job here and doing the job at the law firm. But my God, <laughs> it, it pains me to hear me talk. So hopefully it's not too bad uh, for you. Uh, let's see how everybody's doing. Where are you hanging out from? How is your holiday preparations? If you are preparing for a holiday, uh, how is your weather? We've been having some snowfalls and some uh, icy conditions here in Michigan uh, from time to time with promises of it getting worse for Christmas. We're dreaming of a white Christmas, but perhaps not so white as is going to come this weekend here in Michigan. But uh, how's everybody else doing? Sardinisms. Oh, yeah, I saw you weren't sold on Vampire Survivors. I call it a perfectly tuned dopamine dispenser, and that's pretty much what it's for. I enjoy it from time to time and then get bored. Oh, in yesterday's BitCast. Yeah, yesterday's BitCast was fun. Um, I was actually feeling a lot worse yesterday than I am this morning so far. So that's an improvement. You take every little step. Uh, Vampire Survivors is 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 good fun. Uh, in fact, my daughter loves it. She, my oldest daughter, really loves it, and, and it's fun to play with her and watch her get through this stuff. But it's it's a very simple kind of see what builds work for you, see what you need to do to get through a level, and it doesn't take a ton of um, attention. Uh, so Vampire Survivors. You know, they sell it for a very deeply discounted price. I think it's worth that amount. Uh, and it's uh, it's fine. It's fine. But I'm not going to sit here and tell you that it was one of my favorite experiences of the year, uh, even though that seems to be in vogue right now across various journalistic outlets. So there you go. Vampire Survivors, totally fine. Like a lot of mobile games, totally fine. Vampire Survivors really has that kind of kind of vibe to it. Kelly says, I love this chat. I'm very sorry. You know, I would feel bad about it, but maybe I should have just put up like a screen without me or, or, or post it just going like this. Uh, and you all could have chatted in the morning. I know that that's part of the fun of Hangouts and Headlines is you chatting with each other as much as with me. Uh, but uh, honestly, I wasn't getting up at, uh, at 730 in the morning uh, during this past week. It was trying, trying to rest it off, trying to sleep it off. Uh, to some extent, with some success. Louis points out, Vampire Survivors is actually free on mobile. Makes sense. Is it ad-supported, Louis? They have ads uh, uh, in the Vampire Survivors uh, uh, UI. That wouldn't surprise me. All right, what else we got going on? Britt, it's good to see you again, Britt. Thank you for the super chat. Both bosses out of the office this week. Nice. Uh, I might actually get something done. You see it twisted when you thought it might turn. Or I might spend too much time at the local cigar shop. Either way, this week will be amazing. I love it. Have a great week uh, before Christmas. Uh, my kids actually go to school right until right until Christmas Eve. So that's uh, that's unusual and a little bit uh, problematic for the, for the hoags because the other cousins are already out of school. And uh, yeah, my goodness, right? After last week with, with Hogue House down sick, 
Uh, it's just going to be a, a slow roll into the end of the year. But Britt, I hope you have a great week. Thank you so much for the super chat and for always constantly supporting the channel. It really does mean a lot. Don says, unrelated, but would love to hear your thoughts on John Carmack leaving Meta and what that means for VR in general. Yeah, I've only seen like little snippets, uh, but he sounded kind of remorseful in the, the email that he sent out and the time that he'd spent on virtual reality uh, for a decade. John Carmack, for those of you that don't know, is really one of the, the godfathers of modern gaming, helped invent first-person shooters, had been brought over by Meta to effectively consult on how to make VR a more big-time video gaming venue uh, and kind of left in disgust from the sound of things. Uh, and so I might do a video on that. I, I, it's very difficult for me. I want to commit to about a thousand videos. I really do. Um, but I have to play it by ear and just figure out what, uh, what uh, this whole thing can take uh, while, we're, while we're talking over topics. Uh, but I think it is a disappointment because I think he is a certified kind of video game genius, coding genius. And uh, I, I think it's I, I think it hurts VR, but I think there's been a lot of things that have hurt VR in the last year or so. Uh, and I've talked to you about it, some of them. You know, I think Sony uh, shot itself in the foot with the pricing, whether that's an engineering question or they got caught flat footed for the pandemic and inflation. I don't know. I don't know how that came to be, but I think that pricing is going to really hurt VR. Um, you know, I think Oculus raising its prices is going to hurt. Uh, VR. It'll be interesting to see what happens from here. I love virtual reality. For those that don't know, I, I think it's uh, very, very impressive as a experience when you get a chance to try it out for yourself. But it still needs to grow, uh, and it still needs to kind of get more experiences that more people can engage with, and that's not happening as of yet. So I don't think it's going to kill VR. I think there's a lot of stuff that is killing VR. Uh, but I hope that it survives this because I think it's a great bit of technology. Thank you so much, Don. I really appreciate it. Louis says, vis-a-vis -vis Vampire Survivors, very light ads. Like after a round, optional ad view for bonus gold or revive. That's the way to do it, Louis. That's the way to do it. I, I do like those um, free-to-play games that have as their kind of setup. Here's a currency. And you can be you can be too selfish with that currency as a developer. You can make it so the game is unfun to even interact with. But if you've got the curve right, you can play it for a bunch. And then if you want to do something else, you can watch a short ad, which is usually for a different annoying mobile game. Uh, and I, I tend to like that. Now, as soon as they get the eye tracking into the phones, it's going to be a little bit more problematic because if you're like me, what I tend to do is I tend to play those ads and put the phone down and then, you know, go prep a snack or whatever, or uh, watch some football, whatever it might be that given day. Uh, but they are, they are working on eye tracking technology to make sure you only get the reward if you're actually looking at the ad, which is a little clockwork orangey, uh, but I don't blame them because I don't think they're getting their full value out of it. So we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. <clears throat> Uh, yes, we could have a chat fest sometimes. It'd be like the holiday office party, but in the best way, not the overly drunk, awkwardly dancing way. Yeah. Yeah. See, the last office party I actually went to, uh, was a number of years back, but you know, it's a law firm. So the lawyers are both the worst because they don't care about the rules or they think they're better than them. And also the worst uh, because there are at least some of them that are looking at the situation and just counting up the liability, right? And so you get early closings of the bar, 
or you get no bar at all, or you get people going really crazy because law is a stressful job. <laughs> uh, but I imagine that's the same in a lot of offices. Uh, and then for the really big parties, for the really big expensive firms, they rent out like a ballroom. And uh, I remember those as well. Those are not my scene, <laughs> the fancy Christmas parties. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's uh, maybe we could do that. Maybe we could come up with something uh, very equivalent to the uh, the Gundam streams I was talking about on an earlier video or woodworking stream we proposed for Rob, where, where I just sit here and I'll play Marvel Snap or whatever. I'll rest my voice. We can just chat. I can pop my hat in, just uh, just take random questions on like a one every 10 minute kind of thing. And it'll just be uh, it'll just be hangout day. We'll just sit there. We'll have the stream on. We'll all chat amongst ourselves uh, and have fun with that. <laughs> uh, Kelly Clancy says, I wish I could do VR, but my motion sickness said, nah, you're just going to have to have FOMO. Ah, I feel for you. I will say that a lot of that goes away, both as a pro and a con, because some of the magic kind of goes away when you when you lose your body and your mind freaking out about VR. Uh, but it is certainly the case uh, that... Uh, it is a different experience uh, and you do have to get used to certain things. I recommend um, snap cameras and, and leaping. If you ever want to try it again, uh, there are ways to move around a space that essentially involve kind of jumping to the next spot, to the next spot, to the next spot. That is often a lot better for people. A number of VR games have kind of blinders on the corners so that you're not looking ahead of where your body and your equilibrium think you should be. Uh, that's also pretty helpful, but it may be the case that it just isn't for you. And I'm sorry to hear it, Kelly, because it really is some cool technology. Shreen says, this is a better Hogue voice for my headache. Fantastic. Well, I do feel like we're going to be listening to classical music and I should be telling you about like the history of Bach or something. Uh, but hopefully it's working for you. Hopefully it's working for you. Calista says, he keeps saying virtual reality. I keep hearing virtual legality and I get confused. I need more coffee. Well, the joke's on you, Callista. I have to keep pausing before I say virtual reality to not say virtual legality. So we'll work on this together. Absolutely. Shreen says, I love VR. I like the underwater games and the ball game. <laughs> the luge makes me sick in some of the monster games. Yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff. My kids and I, really, uh, some of our favorite games in VR are essentially VR toys. Uh, we like Job Simulator and Vacation Simulator where you go and you do silly mini games and robots talk to you while you try to do job uh, and things like that. And uh, it's it's a lot of fun. It's like being a kid again because uh, the toys are just uh, the toys are just cool. Googleman 81. Nice to see you, Googleman. VSR, VR is something that doesn't translate well in ads. Absolutely. You can't sell VR. It's, it's very difficult. Must be experienced for comprehension. Free Google Cardboards might help. Yeah, I don't know how to solve this problem. It's possible kind of free access would do it. It, especially before the pandemic, they had kind of moved into a lot of demo stations, um, which for something that you wear on your hair and your head is not ideal. And you're kind of trusting the various Best Buy and other employees to, to clean them off properly. Uh, but you're exactly right, Googleman, which is that you don't get the right impression from a, from a flat YouTube video or a commercial or anything like that. You actually need to try some of this stuff. And I will try the PSVR too at some point uh, when it goes down in price. I'm, I'm just not going to jump in at $600 and basically no products.
from Sony. So we'll see. My buddies have. The people that I talk to regularly about video games, the BitCast has. Uh, they're going to buy those units um, and, and, and things like them. Uh, and they'll let me know. Uh, but I just haven't been sold on it. And honestly, I, I feel a little uh, put upon by Sony kind of ditching the PSVR 1, which I was pretty heavily invested in, and not really having the connections properly set up in the, P- in the PlayStation 5. Uh, and then not having backwards compatibility on the PSVR 2. So my entire library is eviscerated. I say, all right, well, you've, you've taught me, you know, fool me once, fool me twice, won't get fooled again. Ladays, good morning, Ladays. Thank you so much for the super chat. Ho, do you plan on covering the Young Thug YSL Rico case? No. Trial starts in January and it could be a juicy one. I I can look into it. Uh, there's a, I don't know who any of those people are. I recognize Rico. That's your racketeering law. Uh, so, huh. I don't know. Maybe we don't cover a ton of trials here until, you know, Epic sues Apple and the FTC sues Microsoft. Uh, but yeah, all right. I'll, I'll look into it. A Rico case is fascinating. Not, not too often brought up by our, by our federal government. Uh, what else we have here? Jacob, did you hear that it's suggested that Xbox adds a lower Game Pass tier, which replaces gold for $3 with ads? First-party games up to six months after release, but no EA or something else. Saw some rumors about that based on a Spanish survey, I believe. Uh, and I intend to kind of talk about Game Pass pricing and console pricing and Microsoft's future when I do some of those catch-up videos. So right now, I don't think I have enough time in any given catch-up slot to cover everything that's happened even in the last seven days. And then the news will just kind of add on. But my plan right now, if I can get my voice to a place where I'm happy with it, or at least that it isn't hurting me, and I have to actually finish this Hangouts and Headlines and then check on it for like an hour and see how that goes. Because even the BitCast yesterday, I was kind of pained from that the rest of the day. And if... Everything is holding up. Even if I sound like this, my plan would potentially be to do a partial catch up today. Um, I have some law to catch up on. I have some client calls to catch up on. I have some just general living to catch up on. Uh, but my plan would be to do those a, a, as soon as possible so that I can start to get back up to speed and, and have a fully caught up kind of set of comments and videos and, and hangouts and fun you know, by the end of this week, because we're going to go into Christmas and I'm definitely not going to be around next Monday. I can tell you that. So that's the day after Christmas. That is our traditional, I believe we call it game day, but it's very often Lego building day, depending on what the kids get or, you know, Mrs. Hoglaw uh, and board game exploration day and the family from out of state is in town. Uh, and so I, I will certainly be taking that Monday off. And then it's kind of an open question is between Christmas and New Year's. I got some deals to close, apparently. Don't tell Mrs. Hoglaw. Uh, and uh, we'll go from there. But my hope is to get caught up this week. I really, I know I sound like death, but I really am very close to being there <laughs> on this stuff. I'm a lot better than I was even yesterday, uh, but certainly a few days ago. And uh, I'm the the mind is ready. Uh, we'll see if the throat is willing on this stuff. But uh, 
yeah, I, I intend to talk about it more. I think it's very interesting to see those pricing. I think honestly, every streaming service, every service that has a subscription basis is going to have an ad supported tier because I think it makes sense. It gives people options. I, I for instance, will always pay to not deal with ads um, unless they are just really, really light. Um, I can't, I can't stand that. My time is too valuable. I know I'm very haughty on this. Uh, and so I will pay a couple extra bucks for uh, not dealing with those ads in that conversation. But other people can have the choice and say, no, I'm okay with an ad. I'm okay with giving up that time uh, in exchange for that money back. And I think that's great. Options are great. Options are great. Crazy Cat Queen Hoglaw, thank you and Mrs. and Chad for keeping me company this year. Starting my day with you all helped me keep me grounded and happy in the mornings. Hogbrain emoji. Well, thank you, Crazy Cat Queen. And thank you for the super chat. Uh, it's been fun seeing you in chat this whole time since we started Hangouts and Headlines. And if you can believe it, we're at uh, seven months now. Seven months now. And I, I know when we uh, finished Johnny Depp and Amber Heard, a lot of people uh, came into some of those early episodes and said, oh, you're still going to do this. I thought it might stop after the trial. I said, no, I, I like having these conversations. And I think we have enough content to go with. And while we've hit a whole assortment of varied topics, and you can kind of see a lot of my uh, my nerdiness and pop cultureness pop out even more in this space than in virtual legality. I think it's fantastic to have a space where we can talk about whatever. And so many of you DM me news items and say, "Let's talk about this." And say, "Hey, all right, fantastic." I find it to be a collaborative process of what you all want to talk about on any given morning, and it's a lot of fun. And you know this this show has become. Uh, something that I like to start my day with. Uh, I like to start my day with you all talking and, and having these fun conversations and kind of getting my brain ready for the day, as well as I think some of you feel about it the same way. And uh, I think it's great, Crazy Cat Queen. So thank you so much for the super chat and the support. And uh, I love it. This isn't going anywhere as long as I can, you know, keep talking. <laughs> so, uh, and we're almost ready to talk about Elon Musk until our, our eyes cry from all of the Elon Muskiness. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, Ms. Ogla celebrating building day. Is it building day? I thought it was game day. All right, it's, it's building day. That, that makes more sense. We do more Legos uh, the day after Christmas. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I'll definitely be off that day and then we'll be taking it uh, kind of by ear uh, for the rest for the rest of the <laughs> the rest of the week. Abigail Kaufman <laughs> says seven months. Yeah, we started this in May. So if you go look at the timeline, you know, I'm doing virtual legalities. I go to help Alita at Legal Bites with the Depp v. Heard coverage. I start talking about headlines at like the end of every day that we're covering the trial. Uh, and then well, Alita really encouraged me to do this as well as others, Emily Baker, uh, Ian Runkle and uh, other folks that said, hey, you should do a, a live stream on your channel. Say, so, yeah, well, let's see how it works. And then one Saturday I said, let's do headlines. I'd called it headlines. Uh, and it was going to be herd lines, I believe, uh, for a little while. Cause you know, I love puns, everybody. So it was going to be herd lines to go with depth V herd, changed it to headlines cause herd lines was stupid. Uh, and then that first stream, if you all remember anybody that was there wound up going for, I don't even know, 12 hours, something along those lines. And people bopped in, Nate came in to explain how the buttons work to me. I think Rob was in there with me for seven hours, eight hours, something like that. Um, and we got to know all the buttons and, uh, it was, it was a fantastic time. Uh, and we did a couple more of those, uh, and then we started doing them before 
the trial coverage um, that that may and the, the jury decision comes out the first of June. And then we figure out what to do with the show. And I've had fun ever since. Uh, so, yeah, it's been it's been seven months. Can you believe that? It's crazy. Feels like yesterday. Feels like yesterday. We have people remembering it. It went all day. Chrissy Fletcher. Yeah, that first live was amazing. Yeah, I know I missed comic book day with my kids because we go out to the comic book stores. There's a day that the comic book stores kind of have as an advertising thing, a marketing campaign where they give out a certain selection of free comics that the publishers give them to give out for free. Uh, and it's always fun. We go to a couple comic book stores. The, the girls sometimes dress up. Uh, and I had that on my schedule. And it was, I, I want to say we were going to leave it, I don't know, noon. Um, and so I started it really early. Um, the, the headlines said, well, we'll get done. I, I couldn't possibly need more than five hours or something like that. I remember thinking in my head. And then eventually Mrs. Hoaglaw and the girls, they just left. And then they came back. And uh, yeah, we just talked about it afterwards. And Mrs. Hoaglaw was always, she's always the, the best. She's always the most supportive person in the world. I can't. I can't do all of this without her. She handles so much extra stuff that I can't even tell you uh, because I'm doing this kind of stuff so so much. Uh, but uh, I had jokingly said on that stream that she was going to kill me. And she did say, like, what happened there? Uh, but she's been so, so supportive. And it's it's fun to think about because that's that's where all this started in 2022. For all of its warts, for all of its sickness, uh, for all of its problems, uh, has been uh, has been a time where we really grew the channel into something that I had never anticipated it being, and that something includes you know 600 of you in chat before eight in the morning uh, in in the Eastern time zone, and that's that's pretty incredible to me to have these conversations and get to start my day with folks like you all uh, every day. And we got properly we got love for Mrs. Hoglaw. Can't do it without her. She's currently taking the kids to school which I should be doing a lot more of, but I don't because of this particular show. Uh, and she took, she took up that mantle with no problem, no complaints. She's amazing. I love her. Um, and I don't do enough for her, honestly, but we, we try to, we try to get better at that every day, every day. All right. JC says, I never knew. Well, wait, hold on. JC says, I never knew back in May I'd become so involved in Twitter and YouTube as a result of the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard trial. I had never anticipated having a live show. I'd never anticipated doing this kind of streaming. That uh, if you go and look, the first three years of virtual legality are logoed. So I wasn't on camera because I just didn't really want to worry about it. Uh, and like I said, my my friends on YouTube were like, oh, no, you can set these things up and you can have these things as defaults and you don't have to worry about it as much as you think. Uh, and they convinced me that I could do it. Now I have to get a better camera because this is still my webcam. But you always leave something for next year, right? Maybe that'll be a big improvement in 2023. Uh, and we need to get Gaming Dino back up. Gaming Dino back up. <laughs> and uh, and have fun with that. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, mean Mia, the support you and Mrs. Hoglaw show for each other is so refreshing. You're an inspiration to couples everywhere. Oh, that's very nice of you to say. We don't broadcast the times when we are not an inspiration to couples everywhere. Uh, but no, she's amazing. She's amazing. And I honestly, I, this, this, this week was so hard because we were both down. Um, DoorDash was used liberally. Uh, so yeah, camera's perfectly fine. People say, Hey, that's nice of you to say, I, you know, <clears throat> I got, I got a certain amount of fuzziness. Maybe it helps. It's like, a, it's like an old timey 1950s TV show. 
but um, I don't mind it. But you can always be improving. Could probably get an actual microphone stand. The problem with the microphone stands is I break them all the time. Uh, and so now it's just kind of on a couple of law books, which I think is thematically appropriate. All right. Do you want to talk about Elon Musk? Let's talk about Elon Musk. Elon Musk was doing some stuff this last week, right? I was sick. Elon Musk was doing some stuff. Um, and, and we're going to start out, like I said, we've got a lot of catching up to do, don't we? A lot of stuff happened. I put in the tweet about this show, the world doesn't stop just because I do. And ain't that the truth? Uh, and Elon Musk was up to something or many somethings over the last week. And he has been since he bought Twitter. And here's one of the places where I think people get confused because I do tweet about these things. If you were following me on Twitter at Hoglaw, you, you saw me kind of pop in from time to time, um, more so over the weekend than before that, while I was trying to rest and not look at online stuff or my emails. Uh, and over the, over the weekend, I started commenting on this stuff. And for some reason, people have taken my comments as like a rousing endorsement of Elon Musk. Elon Musk himself has kind of become a political topic. And it's remarkable to me because I mostly view Elon Musk personally, in my opinion, editorializing as a kind of circus act, right? As a kind of maybe distraction, but I, I don't view him either as a genius or an idiot, but I do view him as someone that is temperamental and acts on a whim. And being in charge of a social media platform, even if it isn't as big as journalists seem to think it is, it's not one of the biggest social media platforms on earth or anything like that, has really made that come to the fore in a way that I think people of reason can be uncomfortable with, but that people of reason can also look at this and say, well, nothing has really changed from how these platforms have operated, which I tend to use the word mercurial, which people make fun of me on, which, which is fine. People make fun of me for my words all the time. I tend to use the word mercurial for places like YouTube and Facebook and Twitter and Elon Musk, uh, because I think that's a, a, the most appropriate term that I can come up with for how they tend to operate. So before Elon Musk took over Twitter, we had done a series of virtual reality episodes about all these platforms, including YouTube. Hi, Susan. Hi, YouTube. Uh, that talked about how they wrote their terms of service, their terms and conditions, in a specifically ambiguous way so as to have as much power as possible. And we talked about this. We said, well, the more ambiguous you can make your rules, the more discretion you have as a platform to interpret them however they like. If it's really ambiguous and something comes up and you just want to prohibit this person or you want to elevate this person, you want to do something else with your platform that maybe isn't strictly by the book, you can take these ambiguous rules and you can say, yeah, Okay, we can make this fit. We wrote this so that we can make things fit and we can make this particular situation fit. <clears throat> so Elon Musk rolls in and he's got these ambiguous rules already built in place for him. He can use those. Uh, so he's ready to use those. And then he has no compunction about changing anything whenever it suits him. So I think one of the things that you can take from these various stories, and I'm, I'm giving this whole introduction on the premise that you've seen some of what we're going to talk about already with respect to Twitter. If you haven't, this probably doesn't make a ton of sense, and I apologize. But one of the things I think we're seeing with Elon Musk is that he just changes what suits him, and that if you're going to take anything away as kind of something that we've learned over the course of the past two months, month and a half, is that 
Elon Musk might want to be a free speech absolutist in his own terminology, but he is definitely not that. Uh, that he has a certain amount of sensitivity, that he has a certain amount of <clears throat> personal emotion that he's attaching to these business decisions, uh, and that he will make whatever decision he likes. Now, we'll also talk about the difference between the U.S. and Europe, because the U.S. journalists and me uh, mostly acknowledge that it's his platform to do this with, and you don't have to like it. I think that's where people get confused on nuance, Right. I say this a lot, and certainly I've gotten in trouble for saying things like this in the past, so bear with me, but YouTube and Twitter and Facebook have the right to do what they want with their platform, with their servers, with the company that they built. Uh, they have the legal right to do that. I do not have a right to make YouTube videos, and if Susan decided that she had just had enough of that guy in the ball cap and doesn't his throat sound awful, I'm getting rid of him, and she canceled my channel, I would say, hey. That sucks. And I would potentially complain about it and say the decision doesn't make sense and you're removing value from your platform and all these various reasons why it's the wrong decision. But if someone were to ask me, I'd say it's absolutely her, her right. It's YouTube's right to do that. We don't have a right to make YouTube videos. We don't have a right to have our tweets published by Twitter. We don't have a right to do all these various things. Uh, and, and people take that as a defense of big tech oligarchies. Uh, and no, it isn't really that. It's it's the corporate lawyer in me. It's it's the contract guy looking at this and saying, well, you know, they built this. They got big enough. And you want to take control of it at some point and say they shouldn't be allowed to do X, Y, or Z. And that's where I start to have a problem. If we look at what Europe is attempting to do, and I know a number of you in chat are Europeans, and you can disagree with me on this philosophically or otherwise. Absolutely. You know, this is going to be a kind of policy uh, topic uh, if if we get to it on this level. But Europe says, essentially, you can't do that, that at a certain size of your platform, you are not allowed to use it as you see fit, that you have certain obligations, especially to journalists, which we will see, that I simply don't agree with. And in the United States, the, the platform has First Amendment protections to decide what it's going to put up there, what it has to put up there, what it can remove. Uh, and there's going to be this disagreement. And there are a lot of Europeans right now, European officials, on Twitter, ironically enough, decrying Twitter. And so we'll, we'll get into that a little bit. And I certainly understand the impulse because there are times this past week where it has looked like Elon is a crazy person. And some of that comes across because he's changing his mind so quickly. I think that's probably the way he operates internally at his companies. You know, Silicon Valley entrepreneurs tend to have this kind of go fast and break things mentality. I think he's doing that. But Twitter is a very much more public kind of consumer facing work output than some of his other some of his other businesses. And I think that that has been a part of this story. So with that all as background, hopefully I didn't just kind of ramble too much there. I wanted to establish that. Elon Musk is a controversial figure right now uh, because he isn't taking, he isn't making the same choices as many of the other platforms. The platforms had kind of gotten into lockstep, right? We talk about one of the silliest ones, and this isn't political, even though it's impossible to separate from politics. But I have a virtual legality about how wrong Twitter was to kill the New York Post's uh, account when they made the Hunter Biden laptop story, and how silly that was of a choice for a platform. But Keep in mind that that choice made by Twitter was followed up on by places like Facebook, right? And they, they operated in kind of lockstep. It's clear Elon Musk isn't going to do that. And so there's a certain amount of fight just from that. 
But I think one thing it definitely highlights these stories we're going to look at is that these platforms are have been and always will be, barring government regulation, private platforms that can be as mercurial as they want. And that the proper response to that, in my opinion, is to call out that arbitrariness, to call out that capriciousness and say, well, if you're going to be that crazy, I'm going to have to invest less of my time, money, resources, whatever it might be in your platform and that we should call out those things using kind of political capital, actual impressions, uh, rather than calling for for bans and things like that. But that's going to be a place where the United States and Europe uh, differ, it certainly looks like, certainly by 2024 when the DSA goes into effect. All right. So we do have a couple of chats here. We got a warning for me, which is from Alan Mueller, or Mueller, I apologize, that says, warning, we also thought Trump was a circus act back in the day. I never stopped thinking that. Never stop thinking that. I believe the warning here is that they could be a, a more impactful circus act in the future, uh, and that's that's possible. Uh, I don't think that that means we we jump on and just you know throw Elon uh, to the wolves and just say that uh, he is somehow uh, not entitled to this particular circus act. But it, it's 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 a fair warning that uh, various people can take different roles. Certainly. Brett Cormier says, I'm no fan of Elon. However, his temporary suspension of Taylor Lorenz made me smile. We'll talk about that as part of the tabs. I can just imagine how she reacted to having her Twitter toy taken away. Don't publish people's address people. And so we'll talk about that a little bit uh, because uh, Taylor Lorenz, obviously, we've talked about her in the past. Uh, she is uh, an interesting figure on this stuff and certainly frequently uh, reports against places like YouTube and the content we put out, I believe called me a radicalized influencer, which thank you. I don't think I influence anyone, nor am I radicalized, but I appreciate it, Taylor. Uh, and we'll, we'll talk about that as well as part of this, because I do think there's some confusion as to what happened to her. Uh, but with that said, we got the super chats. Let's talk about this. Now, ironically, this Vice article, Elon Musk had his most absurd, disturbing 24 hours at Twitter yet. If you look at the date here, if this is actually the middle of last week. So uh, I wonder if Vice uh, would, would have the same headline like four days in a row for this last week, because this is before any of the journalists get suspended. So let's see what Vice has to say. On Wednesday, so we're in Wednesday of last week, Twitter chief Elon Musk banned accounts he said he never would in order to protect free speech, that's Elon Jet, made up new rules to justify it, threatened legal action against a 20-year-old, which I don't know why that's important, pontificated on how doxing is banned on the platform, and then immediately posted a video doxing a man and asked his 121 million followers to identify him. Now, one of the things I think you will see here, and in the NBC News article I have prepped, is a certain amount of latent and sometimes patent <laughs> negativity towards Elon Musk. So translating this opening paragraph, this is he bans the Elon Jet account for transmitting his location data. They make up new rules to justify it. You'll hear Vice refer to this as retroactively made up. And it does appear to be certainly close to the timeline. I don't know whether it was retroactive or not. Threaten legal action against a 20-year-old, which 20-year-old doesn't really change anything. You're in the age of majority. I, this, this just one seems wrong. Potentially sues the Elon Jet guy or, or threatens it. Talks about how doxing is banned on the platform, which it is and has been. And then immediately posts a video doxing him in. Now, the video he posts is of a person in a car, and I believe with a license plate. Uh, and whether or not that's doxing, it's a question mark. Just like the Elon Jet stuff is a question mark. Now, 
Vice reports on it as follows. It began when Twitter banned the account Elon Jet, which had 500,000 followers and tweeted automated updates about Musk's personal flights using legal publicly available aviation data. Now, previously, and I do think this is important, while he was purchasing Twitter, Musk had said of the Elon Jet account specifically, my commitment to free speech extends even to not banning the account following my plane, even though that is a direct personal safety risk. So he's hated this for a while. The highly targeted ban against an account clearly annoying Musk and almost nobody else caused an immediate uproar, and it was followed by more bans. Personal account of 20-year-old Elon Jet creator Jack Sweeney was banned, and so were all of his other flight tracking accounts, including those that tracked Mark Zuckerberg and Russian oligarchs. I wonder how he picked this particular list. Musk then took his personal account to launch a PR offensive. He said in a tweet, any account doxing real-time location info of anyone will be suspended as it is a physical safety violation, but that posting locations someone traveled to on a slightly delayed basis will be allowed. He then went on to claim that a crazy stalker in LA had blocked a car carrying his child X and jumped on the hood. He posted a video of an unknown man and asked his 121 million followers if anyone recognized the car or the person driving in it. It was a stunning and disturbing moment, says Vice, the richest man in the world, maybe, we'll see how that's going, uh, asking his millions of rabid fans to identify an individual versus, say, going to the police is reckless and possibly dangerous behavior. I will admit there's a certain amount of irony to, when we're talking about a topic as fraught as what doxing is, which is already a difficult thing to define, and Twitter does no great shakes at it. We'll talk about the policies in just a second. And then taking a video of someone and asking his people to identify them. Now, obviously, Elon Musk looks at this and says, well... I'm trying to establish how much danger I'm in when people know my location. And I think if we're being honest, that's a, a fair kind of assumption if you take everything that is shown in that video on its face. That said, I also don't know that it's stunning and disturbing, as Vice says here. Musk's meltdown, which follows a public embarrassment where he was booed on stage at a Dave Chappelle show, had other troubling moments. He publicly threatened legal action against Elon Jet creator Sweeney and organizations who supported harm to my family. Again, Swinney was doing nothing more than sharing legally protected public information. The issue was that it bothered Musk. So here's the tricky part, right? So this is what, like, like I said, there's a certain kind of tenor of reporting on Elon Musk from certain places. And I think this is heightened after he banned some journalists that takes kind of the negative approach to everything that they say about him. And, and I'm not really an Elon Musk fan as much as some people accuse me of being that on Twitter. Um, I, I look at this and I say, well, doxing can occur certainly in the internet parlance by going and taking information from desperate sources and putting it into an easy to understand package that is very clear as to what someone is, right? If you own property in the United States, there's a good chance that your name is associated with an address that is in some kind of real property office, whatever it might be called in the jurisdiction in question. And if you take that and you combine it with some name information and you combine it with some other things, then chances are you can tell where somebody's home is. You can tell potentially where their kids go to school. You can tell all this other stuff by going through what is publicly available information. And the law hasn't really figured out what to do with that so much. Uh, but platforms have policies that say if you take this information and you make it public in a way that wasn't otherwise uh, public or easily found by people, then we can potentially do something about it. Uh, in this case, for with respect to Elon's 
uh, flight information, which is not easily found. Uh, Elon apparently has something, and this is news to me, that is essentially saying, um, like it used to be in the old phone book, don't, don't include my number, don't include my address, for his flight tracker. Um, so to some extent, Elon Jet and others that are tracking these kinds of things are going around some protections that the law is trying to put in place to get this information. Does that make it illegal? Probably not. Does that make it against platform policies even before they change the language? Potentially so. Now, they did change the language here, and that language is accused of being changed retroactively, and I think that's worth looking at as well. Musk is free to moderate his new platform as he wishes. So here's Vice, American outlet, talking about it in the way that I tend to. That was the entire premise of Twitter's previous approach, which, for all of its failings, typically followed a corporate bureaucratic process with many people giving input, as Musk's own Twitter files have shown. We haven't covered the Twitter files here. Maybe we will. Uh, to some extent, they are important. To some extent, they are not. Like most things, they are in the middle of the road there with some of the some of the stuff that has been reported about Twitter. Uh, but this is the this is the American position, right? You own it. You can do what you want with it. But Vice can criticize it. Now it's clear that Musk is running Twitter as a personal fiefdom, which is no surprise. Playing Calvin Ball with the rules. If you aren't familiar, that's a reference to Calvin and Hobbes and they invent a, a kid's game that basically changes the rules uh, as it goes. And his commitments to free speech and moderating within the law have gone out the window. Now, it's unclear what they mean by him not moderating within the law. Uh, generally speaking, the law, most predominantly, the Communications Decency Act, Section 230, uh, is going to protect whatever Twitter wants to do. And as a matter of fact, the Congress of the United States basically decided in the late 90s that they didn't want to adjudge how platforms were handling moderation decisions, uh, and they didn't want platforms to be liable for what was otherwise on their site that was user-generated content. And so they have very vast protections on this stuff, which many people think should be reformed. But moderating within the law is pretty hard to run afoul of in the United States because, well, almost any moderating that you do is going to be within the ambit of the law. It's one of the problems that people have identified with the way these platforms work. The other platform, the other problem that was identified is the question of whether or not this stuff changed either before or after the actual violations occurred. Certainly in the law, we would look at a problem. We would call it a, a post hoc lawmaking to say, okay, what you did on Tuesday of last week should be illegal. We're going to pass a law today and we're going to put you in jail tomorrow. But that's a problem. That's a violation of due process. You didn't know it was illegal. You didn't make the decision to do the thing when it was illegal. And that can be an issue. And it comes up in various aspects of law all the time. The tax code tends to do this. The tax code tends to penalize you for things in the past if they, if they change the tax code uh, in the current calendar year and you did something in February and they changed it in September uh, and penalize you for doing that uh, thing. And there's been conversations about that. Usually don't rise to the level of constitutional challenge. Uh, but here... Twitter's not the U.S. government, and yet we still want people to be bound by their contracts. And if you don't know something was a violation when you did it, it becomes a problem. So this is what the current policy on personal information says. They, they ask the question, why is the information being shared? They have a note here. Regardless of intent, if the information is not shared during a crisis situation to assist with humanitarian efforts or in relation to public engagement events, it's like word soup. We will remove any tweets or accounts that share someone's live location. Now, do we actually believe that they will do that, right? If you tweet out that uh, Senator Bob is giving a speech 
uh, on uh, on the tarmac at Dulles, is that something that gets removed? Right? He is. He's given a speech. Uh, is that something that is a problem here? Probably not, because what Elon's really trying to aim at, and failing to do this, right? This is what happens when you write rules on the fly. Is he's trying to aim at this? What is in violation of the policy? Live location information, including information shared on Twitter directly or links to third-party URLs of travel routes. This links portion is going to be important, that you are going to get full credit for any violative content that you link directly to. Importantly, that would mean, if this is interpreted to its maximal extent, that if you link to ElonJet on a different service, then you are responsible as a Twitter user for a violation of the Twitter terms and conditions because you link directly to that right? Actual physical location or other identifying information that would reveal a person's location, regardless if this information is publicly available. So they're trying to get at doxing. They're trying to get at, you know, co coordination of publicly available information doesn't get you out of the doxing rules. Uh, and this is what was added. Uh, it's a little unclear exactly when it was added, but various outlets have gone and looked at uh, this policy and not found the same information, right? That, that live location stuff isn't here. There is no reference above to uh, who is sharing it, why is it being shared, anything that we just saw. And this was this is written as updated in April 2022. This is the same as of, I believe this is December 13th, 2022, through the Internet Archive. So we do have that issue. This is what they mean by playing Calvin Ball, retroactively changing rules. And is that happening here for this particular ban? Now, when I say ban, things get real on December 15th. Musk suspends journalists from Twitter, claims assassination danger. Company executives allege that more than half a dozen reporters endangered Twitter's owner by sharing his location, but a review of their tweets shows no evidence of it. So here is a fundamental disagreement. Now, fundamental disagreements with platform terms of service are nothing new here, right? If you've been in Hangouts and Headlines for a while, if you've been in virtual legality for a while, you know that there are often disagreements because these terms and service are written to be as ambiguous as possible. Matter of fact, if we go and look at what Twitter had the right to kick you for before, physical location information, including street addresses, GPS coordinates, or other identifying information related to locations that are considered private, considered private is pretty ambiguous, right? If you've got a private jet, well, it's a private jet. Is that considered private for purposes of your location? I think they could have made the argument without changing the language. So when we start talking about retroactive changes, is this a clarification for the future or are they imposing a penalty because this violates something that is new is going to be in the eye of the beholder. Again, I'm giving Elon Musk a bit of the benefit of the doubt on that because I do think this is a pretty crazy way to run a platform of this type. So he may or may not have the right. Washington Post says nobody actually jeopardized his location, but the issue is going to be, and we'll see it, I think, in this article. I have a lot of articles that I looked at this morning. <clears throat> that is in this article will say they did link to Elon Jet. And linking to information that you find problematic through the platform is potentially a violation of the platform terms of service. And it has been for a while. So hmm. now the Washington Post is also, it should be pointed out, is tilted <clears throat> on this because one of their journalists was banned. Twitter suspended the accounts of more than half a dozen journalists. More than half a dozen journalists. Okay. So the other aspect of this that we have to talk about is that the press in the United States, I'm not going to talk about Europe because Europe is clearly going its own direction on this stuff. 
<clears throat> the press in the United States is not a special class of super citizenry, right? The, the press is not a notion of uh, folks that have extra legal rights uh, than other people. Uh, this is what we call the masthead media here in general, uh, which is not to be disparaging. They just generally operate under mastheads. When we talk about more than half a dozen journalists, which is going to be like seven or eight, uh, from CNN, the New York Times, the Washington Post, and other outlets Thursday evening, uh, I think it's important to note that this is a relatively small event in terms of number, in terms of quantity, uh, as compared to what Twitter regularly does. Uh, and I do think the folks that say, hey, you didn't have this outrage when the New York Post was taken down. You didn't have this outrage uh, when other journalists of ill repute amongst certain sectors of the journalistic community uh, got taken down because as best I can tell, they were wrong thinkers, is a problem for these arguments, right? And, and this isn't to take a position on the right thinking or wrong thinking of the Washington Post versus whoever, Fox. We'll call it Fox because I think everybody understands that shorthand. <clears throat> but you do get into this situation where what it looks to be is that this platform is just as mercurial as the other platforms. It's operated by someone who sees things differently than some of the other folks, including Facebook. Uh, but that is getting into trouble because they're making these different decisions, even though journalists are regularly uh, banned and, and journalists are not a special class to speak of in the first instance. And that these journalists appear to, it's very difficult to actually find this out, appear to have linked to that Elon Jet website or profile. So the Washington Post, New York Times, CNN, all these various people are up in arms because, well, they have platforms to be up in arms with. The Post has seen no evidence that the, any of the reporters did so. The suspensions came without warning or initial explanation from Twitter. They took place a day after Twitter changed its policy on sharing live location information and suspended an account. Now, the day after is important there, but it is also important as to when the offending incident would have occurred. Elon Jet had been using public flight data to share the location of Musk's private planes. Many of the journalists suspended Thursday, including Washington Post technology reporter Drew Harwell, had been covering that rule change as well as Musk's claims that he and his family had been endangered by location sharing. Twitter did not respond to questions. Uh, Elon Musk had tweeted on Thursday, criticizing me all day long is totally fine, but doxing my real-time location and endangering my family is not. Harwell, whose most recent stories covered the ban of Elon Jet and the rise of baseless claims on Twitter, discovered he was unable to log into his account at 7.30 p.m. on Thursday. Harwell was banished from Twitter without warning, process, or explanation following the publications of his accurate reporting about Musk, our journalists should be reinstated immediately. Now, this is the right thing for an outlet to do. Uh, there's no problem with this. This is what you would expect from, from your employer on these kinds of things. But it may be in violation of Twitter's policies. You don't have to love them. In fact, you can write an article after article about how they're stupid. I, I have no problem with that whatsoever. Uh, but it is interesting that without warning process or explanation is a big deal when, of course, Twitter is known for banning and suspending people without warning process or explanation. And as these reporters have found, with the return plea bargain requiring you to delete your tweet. Uh, and some reporters are apparently appealing that. Some have deleted their tweet. I don't know if that has proceeded from there. It's impossible to keep up with these stories at the speed in which they're happening. At least eight other journalists were suspended the same evening. So that's nine, at least according to the Washington Post. 
CNN reporter Donnie O'Sullivan was suspended shortly after posting a tweet about Musk's claim that a crazy stalker had chased his young son. Matt Binder was tweeting about O'Sullivan's suspension when his account also went dark. Independent journalist Tony Webster's account was suspended as of Thursday evening, as were MSNBC host Keith Olbermann. Is he still a host on MSNBC? Intercept reporter Michael Lee, Voice of America's chief national correspondent Steve Herman, and Aaron Rupar, a Substack writer with nearly 800,000 followers on Twitter. Okay. It's impossible to square Twitter's free speech aspirations with the purging of critical journalists' accounts. Okay. The First Amendment protects Musk's right to do this, but it's a terrible decision. Their account should be restored immediately. So the ACLU basically has, in, in my opinion, editorializing, this is the right tack here. It certainly doesn't evince a strong free speech uh, protection feeling from Elon Musk, nor has I think he has evinced that throughout his ownership of Twitter. But uh, Twitter has First Amendment pr protection, as does Elon Musk. So you can say it's an awful decision. Uh, I think it's probably the wrong decision. Their account should be restored immediately. Uh, but in America, it, he has the right to do this. The account bans were labeled Direction of Ella and Twitter's internal systems, according to two former employees in contact with Twitter staff. So not Twitter employees, but former Twitter employees are now reporting the Washington Post. Ella Irwin, the company's head of trust and safety, has carried out many of Musk's orders since he purchased the company in late October and began upending its rules in the name of what he called free speech. A prior suspension was marked Direction of Elon. Here's some of the emails that were sent to Elon Musk on December 13th, essentially asking if he is if he supports that letter organization that YouTube gets mad if I say the name of, talking about chilling speech. YouTube has has taken action against my channel before for saying this. So we won't be saying that today, but you can see how that affects it. Mercurial platform rules. Uh, Irwin told The Verge, without commenting on any specific accounts, I can confirm that we will suspend any accounts that violate our privacy policies and put other users at risk. And then we get into where Elon Musk gets really wild. This is what he's been doing all weekend. Musk tweeted late Thursday that the suspensions would last a week, although several of the reporters had been informed by Twitter they were banned permanently. That's just what the ban looks like, I think. I don't know if they got a separate notice of that. It's it's interesting to see how they have been reacting to this process that has affected so many people that I know uh, as if it were as if it were brand new. Later that night, he took a Twitter poll on when he should reinstate the accounts, but restarted it after a plurality of respondents said he should do so immediately. So Elon Musk has this tendency right now, and you could. It, depending on how you feel about Elon Musk, this is, you could think he's a genius or as I tend to think about it, it's a bit ridiculous where he looks for blessings, right? In corporate law, we have an actual series of rules that say you can correct a corporate issue. Uh, maybe a board member has an interest in a contract he wants to enter into the, into the company with. Uh, maybe there was an issue with uh, the number of shares that got issued when it doesn't match what you were authorized to issue in a given state. A whole bunch of technical issues we won't get into uh, in this space. But the, the point of this is that you can bless that. You can ratify it. You can fix it. If you can get a, a number of shareholders, a non-interested shareholders or other rules that apply to go and say, yes, this is okay. Uh, that yes, that was a technical problem um, and it's not a big deal to us and we're the ones that own the company. So it's it's all right. Elon Musk appears to be taking a similar approach to his decision-making, which he makes these kind of wild and broad decisions, cutting off a bunch of journalists, making changes to things like what social media you can talk about. We'll get there. Uh, and then walks it back by essentially saying, well, we'll let the people decide, which is no way to run a railroad. 
and certainly appears directionless uh, when you go too far with these things. But he's done this a couple of times now. Musk also repeated his baseless allegation that the journalists had revealed private information about his family. Same doxing rules apply to journalists as to everyone else, he wrote. They posted my exact real-time location, basically assassination coordinates. So Elon Musk is also prone to hyperbole, uh, but you do get the impression that he's legitimately concerned about his safety, which I'm not a billionaire, all right? I, I can certainly imagine being concerned about these things. And I don't think we have to accuse him of bad faith when he says this stuff. We can, we can certainly accuse him of operating a fiefdom or uh, acting only in his own interests and those kinds of things. But I don't think that these are lies, right? I don't think that this is Elon Musk making this up. And, and here is what he actually says when he joins a Twitter Spaces chat. So as the bans happen, one thing that is discovered is that as you are banned on Twitter, you could still participate in Twitter Spaces, which is almost certainly an oversight. And then Twitter canceled Twitter Spaces for a short time. It's a whole thing, right? Twitter is technically and operationally a mess right now. That is actually happening, uh, however you might feel about it. Around 11.30 p.m. Thursday, Musk joins Twitter Spaces with several journalists, including some who had been banned in which he reiterated his claim that they had doxed him. The journalists challenged him on this. You're suggesting that we're sharing your address, which is not true. Musk retorted, you posted a link to the address. Harwell replied in the course of reporting on Elon Jet, we posted a link to Elon Jet, which is now not online. Musk left the call abruptly four minutes into it. Well, and that's certainly a way to frame uh, how Elon Musk is operating. And I don't know that he's thinking through all these things to their fullest extent. But to the extent that this is acknowledged, hey, we posted a link to Elon Jet, which one can expect is probably where the other list of journalists came from, is a, is a link to Elon Jet. Reasonable minds can differ as to whether or not that should be good enough to ban someone. I tend to agree with the folks that say it isn't enough. I wouldn't operate my platform this way. But it does appear that this is an admission of, hey, yeah, we link to this information that you have found to be problematic. Yes, we can get into questions of whether that's ex post facto or not. But if we don't, uh, then this looks this looks like they are admitting that they violated this new policy. Is this a way to run a platform? I would argue no. I would have my terms and conditions be much more transparent and not changing every minute. Uh, but there we go. Uh, then you get into like the litany of things the Washington Post says Elon Musk is doing wrong. He restores Donald Trump, freedom of speech, but not freedom of reach. He's already banned some high profile accounts before Thursday's apparent purge. Wednesday, Elon Jet was permanently suspended despite the tweet from Musk a week earlier that he was going to keep it up as part of his commitment to freedom of speech. He changes the Twitter policies that we've already looked at. You've got various uh, congressional folks saying that this is a problem. They told us that they're not going to retaliate against independent journalists or researchers who publish criticisms of the platform. Less than 12 hours later, multiple technology reporters have been suspended. And you can feel like it's pretextual if you want. You can argue that uh, in the chat or, or or to me directly, if you like, if you think this is just faked by Elon Musk to get rid of certain journalists. A committee to protect journalists assailed the suspensions. We are concerned about news reports that journalists who have covered recent developments involving Twitter and its owner, Elon Musk, have had their accounts on the platform suspended. If confirmed as retaliation for their work, this would be a serious violation of journalists' right to report the news without fear of reprisal. And here's where we get into another area between the U.S. and Europe, which is freedom right? Everyone understands that Twitter doesn't owe its users a freedom of speech, right? That the First Amendment, the Constitution, that protects citizens of the United States from government, and that the Twitter is not the government, although 
certainly people are DMing me about the Twitter files and we can talk about state actors and things like that. But let's put that aside for a second. Twitter, as it is built, is not the government. And journalists have a right to report the news without fear of reprisal, certainly not from everywhere, right? If you were to say, take a journalist and they uh, wrote just a scathing critique of the burgers at the local burger joint, and then they try to enter and uh, enter that burger joint a, a week later, and the burger joint owner says, no, we're not, we're not serving you. You are some kind of curse word. <laughs> we'll wait for Emily Baker to come on uh, to, to give some good thoughts on what curse word that, that burger shack owner should be. Uh, we're not going to serve you. Uh, that would be well within their rights. Journalists don't have a right to report whatever they like without fear of reprisal. That's, that's not a thing. They do have a right to report on whatever they like without fear of government intervention, if things are working properly. Uh, but the, the way things get confused with social media platforms is that they're actually doing their reporting through this private platform separately. And this has kind of gotten confused, in my opinion, editorializing, uh, as to what obligations that platform has uh, especially in this context, to journalists? And I would argue the answer is basically none. It's basically still the burger shack. Uh, but journalists have become kind of so enmeshed, especially in Twitter, and using Twitter to coordinate with their contacts and their journalistic colleagues and to get their news out there, that they, they I think, honest to God, believe this. I don't think this is bad faith argument on their part either, but I don't think it's the correct one. Twitter is still a private platform. Uh, and you've got journalists, even on this list of people that the Washington Post posted, saying Twitter's a private platform and they can go and they can control their message and get rid of dangerous information as much as they want, which is correct that these platforms can do that. Don't invest so heavily in your, your livelihood into some third party's mercurial choices. I've said this for years. Uh, to me, that's YouTube, right? That you can't be so based on YouTube because YouTube could just get rid of you in two seconds. I did video on this. I talked about this. YouTube uh, copyright striked, well, not, not copyright, struck one of my videos um, a year after it was published for, I think it was cyberbullying and harassment. And I wrote them a big long letter saying you can't do that. That you can't, at, at minimum, you can't post when you go to active, uh, access that video that it was removed for cyberbullying and harassment because that's an accusation. Uh, and that's that's a problem for me. Obviously, it's under my law firm name. And so we're going to have an issue, YouTube, if we do this. And they got rid of it. Uh, but that ever since, certainly, it's been obvious. And even before that, that we're here on Hog Law YouTube channel. It says YouTube channel. I don't control YouTube. And so it is essentially at their largesse that they continue to allow us to operate. And hopefully, if we can continue to make them money through Super Chats or ads or whatever, they will continue to allow us to operate on their channel. But I make no kind of uh, suppositions or, or statements that suggest that I have a right to make YouTube videos. That's not in the Constitution. I didn't build the servers. I didn't build the infrastructure. And, and I understand that. Uh, that is not always shared uh, by all of my colleagues on YouTube or, or other people on Twitter or elsewise. And I think that's very interesting but it's also wrong. Uh, and so I think we can call out Elon Musk and say, you shouldn't do this because it's silly. It's, it's, it's stupid to take a link that's reporting on you. It looks bad for you. It has all of these negative side effects without going so far as to say that it is, you know, a, a journalist should have the right to do whatever they like on Twitter without fear of reprisal from Twitter. Hmm, maybe not so much. 
The spokesperson for the New York Times called the suspensions questionable and unfortunate. Neither the Times nor Ryan have received any explanation about why this occurred. We hope that all the journalist accounts are reinstated. In a company statement, CNN called the suspension of O'Sullivan impulsive and unjustified, and we will reevaluate our relationship based on that response. If you're an advertiser, that makes sense. You'd reevaluate whether you're going to advertise on the platform. I don't know if CNN is. Uh, otherwise, we're not going to use Twitter so much anymore. Is its own ball of wax. And because people asked about it earlier, this also happened to Taylor Lorenz. Now, Taylor Lorenz, Washington Post tech reporter, formerly features reporter until some troubles uh, regarding the Amber Heard and Johnny Depp trial and YouTubers uh, like myself. The Daily Mail here reports, controversial Washington Post reporter Taylor Lorenz grins as she confirms her ban from Twitter for asking Elon Musk for a comment as fellow band reporter Ryan Mack waves in the background. On Saturday, the Washington Post Taylor Lorenz became the latest victim of Elon Musk's Twitter purge on journalists. After she was permanently suspended from the platform, uh, her removal from Twitter came just after the tech giant announced new policies on doxing, something that Lorenz has been accused of in the past. Here's, here's Ms. Lorenz, very stoked on TikTok, not at all a platform that anyone should be worried about ever, uh, saying how uh, thrilled she is to be banned from Twitter. I only had three live tweets on my account when it was banned. Two were promoting my social media profiles and other platforms, and one was the tweet below where I asked most for comment. Now, as we've talked about in the YouTube space, in the Twitter space, in the Facebook space. The platforms reserve the right to look at your deleted tweets, your deleted account information, your deleted YouTube videos. People have had their channels suspended for deleted YouTube videos. Uh, and Taylor Lorenz knows this. Taylor Lorenz is not an idiot, however you might want to characterize her. And she understands the platforms that she's been operating on for a long time, longer than me, to be quite honest. And uh, understands that this is essentially lying through obfuscation. I only had three tweets remaining. Now, that also meant that she purged her own Twitter history. Uh, but she only had three, three tweets remaining, and it was only asking for comment based on what appeared to be that uh, that lettered organization that I can't comment on uh, as a request to Elon Musk. She only had three, and so it was just because I asked for a comment. And Daily Mail kind of reports it as uh, credulous. Uh, never one in my 13-year career in social media have I received a single terms of service or community guidelines violation for my personal account or any account that I have run, which is interesting uh, because she's at least regularly walking the line or seems to be uh, of, of harassing kind of conduct and messages. Twitter has served as an essential real-time news source and played a crucial role in the journalism world, but Musk's arbitrary suspensions of journalists who report on him should worry anyone who values free speech and expression. I don't disagree with Ms. Lorenz on this. But before we get too far on this, and the Daily Mail puts so many ads and just covers things in so many photos, they talk about uh, her being against the Washington Post reporting about the China, no COVID policy, all sorts of things that the Daily Mail brings to task. Well, turns out it might not be because she asked Elon Musk to comment. Now, the Daily Mail actually doesn't have any more evidence of this than it does of anything else, uh, but it seems more likely based on the chain of events that we saw this past week. Washington Post's Taylor Lorenz back on Twitter after Elon Musk temporarily suspended her account that she said was permanent due to prior doxing action. The Washington Post's controversial journalist is back on Twitter after Elon Musk temporarily suspended her for doxing, says the Daily Mail. Lorenz confirmed that she was booted from the platform on Saturday night in a TikTok video without zero reason or for zero reason. Temporary suspension due to prior doxing action by this account, Musk wrote in a response to the tweet about Lorenz's ban, will be lifted shortly. So Elon Musk out there writing tweets, 
explaining ban decisions. Before Lorenz was banned, the tech giant announced new policies on doxing. Musk then decided to ban Lorenz after uh, Ariadna Jacob posted alarming evidence of how she was doxed in 2020, including text messages with the journalist insisting her address won't be published. Uh, now, in the interest of full disclosure, Ariadna uh, Jacob is regularly uh, in the comments section here. She might even be watching this Hangouts and Headlines this morning and, and is often uh, talking to me about the, the situation. She has sued over this kind of stuff before and I think is currently suing again. I'm not famous and I wasn't a public figure either when Taylor Lorenz asked for my address, said it wasn't for publication and then proceeded to dox me in the New York Times with the address she had assured me she wasn't going to publish. The article was shared many times on Twitter, included in Jacob's tweet were screenshots of a lawsuit against Lorenz that exposed the journalist's guarantee to not share the town scout's address. When the article was published, Jacob found that a Zillow link to her Los Angeles home was included. Musk replied to the tweet saying such shameful behavior will not be tolerated going forward. Now, interestingly enough, even if this is the reason Taylor Lorenz gets suspended, it isn't a perfect fit for a violation of Twitter doxing rules uh, because she used the New York Times platform to do it. And obviously years before Elon Musk owned Twitter and years before any change in the rules. So as much as I know a number of you are not big Taylor Lorenz fans, I would say this is potentially a weaker claim for suspension than the other ones that we saw that were linking directly to Elon Jet. Uh, Ariadna Jacob does post all of this. Uh, I have looked at this before, uh, and it certainly does appear to say from Taylor Lorenz that you can you give me your address for background, uh, and then having that appear in the New York Times article is a violation of trust at minimum. Uh, and so uh, I do think that it's, it's bad behavior. Is it bad behavior violative of Twitter's terms of service? I don't know on that. Uh, and then you get all the rest of the stuff from the earlier article because that's how the Daily Mail rolls. So that's what we've got with Taylor Lorenz. Importantly, it does not appear to be that she was banned for asking Elon Musk a question, which is how she tried to characterize it at first. And certainly we have a history of looking at Taylor Lorenz's articles and interpreting them. And that kind of alighting of truth content uh, is something that is uh, endemic in her work. Uh, so I think you always have to take her quotes, whether you like them or not, with a bit of a grain of salt. Um, but that's that's kind of what she's earned for herself reputationally. Now, before we head on to like the second half of this Elon Muscapalooza part 80, I do want to thank uh, Christina, Lady Draconis, uh, Bardeen, uh, uh, who became a YouTube member. I hope you very much enjoy your YouTube membership here. That is awesome. Diana B with the Super Chat says, stalking a survivor's real-time location is scary, but also Elon Ugg. I totally get this statement, Diana. I totally get this. Thank you for the super chat. I get that. I think Elon Musk is acting very rashly and impulsively. I, I agree with the people that have criticized him for that. I also, as a human being, tend to acknowledge that it does have the indicia of someone that is legitimately scared for their, their location, their well-being, and their safety. Uh, and uh, he has evidenced some of that emotionality, especially with kids' safety uh, in the past. And I think that lines up with what we have seen from him, even if you don't like it. I don't really think that changes the equation for these platforms that have operated in this way for a long time. Now, you can sit back and say, Rick, that's that's all well and good that they've operated that way. You've criticized that a lot in the past, haven't you? And I would say, yes, I have. I think that you could reform 230. That gives the right of uh, moderation to anything that a platform holder finds objectionable. But until that time, 230 sits there and says, you can do whatever you like on this stuff. That Sarah, if Elon was worried about safety of his private jet, he'd use a jet leasing company like many celebs flying various tail numbers. This is about control. So that Sarah disagrees with me. Says, I don't think it's legitimate. 
This is just about control. And he found a reason to get rid of some journalists. I think a reasoned person, reasonable minds can differ as the mantra of the channel can come up with that conclusion, can go and say, look, he doesn't like these journalists. He doesn't like being criticized. He doesn't like being reported on. And so he found a reason that was plausible. And so he used that reason that was plausible. That Sarah, I have no problem with you disagreeing with me. To me, I look at it and it has the look of someone that's legitimately concerned about this. It doesn't hit enough journalists to really do uh, you know, journalistic damage across the board. Uh, and he would prefer to use the heavy hand that he has to get rid of links to, to Elon Jet, which we know is something that's bothered him for a long time. He tried to buy out the channel, I think, in the past. Uh, so I see it differently, but but I totally acknowledge that you can see it opposite of me. So thank you for the super chat that, Sarah. I really appreciate it. Okay. I'd like, and then some commentary. That dog in that ad just looks so smug. The Daily Mail is impossible to read. Every time I click on the Daily Mail and people come into the comments to this video probably and say, turn on your ad block. I say, I, I don't like to turn on ad block when I'm reading articles, you know, here on YouTube. Uh, but it's, it makes it almost impossible. It's like watching the screen on idiocracy when daily mail comes on three videos pop up. There's 16 different, uh, ads that are all over the place. It's just, it's just ridiculous. You, you look at even the proportions on this screen to where the article is compared to everything else. Uh, and it's just, it's just insane. Or as, uh, clan sum says mail is horrible. I tend to agree. I think mail is horrible. <clears throat> Just Because asks, is it right to assume that Elon is the one always in the Elon jet? No. Didn't Taylor Swift reveal she lends out her jet after the use controversy? I think it could be somebody other than Elon, uh, but bare minimum, it's going to be within Elon's ambit or control. Uh, so you, you can you can track these things. I, I'm not a jet tracker. Uh, way back in the day, folks know that I'm a Michigan Wolverines fan, certainly. Uh, when they were trying to figure out who was going to be the next head coach, there was a tracker on the plane that the University of Michigan used to go get Jim Harbaugh, who is our current coach, uh, seven years ago or eight years ago. <clears throat> and uh, I always thought that was a bit much. I always thought that was a bit much. So it's not my bag, as they might say. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I don't, uh, I don't love it. I don't love it. I'm not in charge of Twitter. Uh, and I think you should be more careful about this if you are a platform. And you should be even more careful about this if you sold your ownership of the platform on the premise that you were going to be a free speech advocate uh, that was something more uh, than others. Now, this headline here, this portion of this video actually changed since I talked about it uh, yesterday night. Uh, and so this used to talk about what was a apparently short-lived, we could look at the, look at the site for it, <clears throat> policy where Twitter said basically you can't talk about these other platforms that we don't like on Twitter. Now, this is an interesting one because this is going to be viewed as commercial speech. And so the basics of this are people were talking about their Mastodon accounts. Then we're talking about other accounts too, but we're going to use Mastodon. Uh, people were talking about their Mastodon accounts and for whatever reason, Elon Musk didn't like it. And these various places, including the NBC News article here, are going to have their assumptions about why Elon Musk doesn't like it. He doesn't like to have competitors. He doesn't like to have things pulled from him. Elon Musk's basic framework here was that he doesn't like to give away free advertising for competition. Now, there's a host of things we're going to be able to talk about on the First Amendment here. We're going to look at how NBC reports it because it's headlines. And then also, we're going to take a look at that European question 
as well as whether or not this gets into kind of an antitrust area, right? You might recall if you were following Epic versus Apple here on the channel, that one of the few wins that Epic had, which was temporary because it's currently enjoined while it's looked at by the Ninth Circuit, was a ruling by the judge that Apple's quote-unquote anti-steering provision in its terms of service was illegal as a restraint of trade, that it was unfair competition. And what did the anti-steering provision say? It said, <clears throat> a developer that puts a game on our store can't direct people somewhere else. In this case, generally speaking, to the developer's own store to buy things at a lesser price than they would sell on on the app store. This at least rings to me of the kind of thing that could raise anti-steering concerns. Now, anti-steering itself is not illegal. So you have to kind of frame it in a very particular way that's going to win a judge's mind. If you think about anti-steering in its kind of broadest sense, the Best Buy doesn't have to host boxes that say you should really be buying this at the Target, right, in general. That's, that's not going to be illegal for them to say, no, you can't have that language. We don't have to put that on our shelves. In digital space, it gets a little bit different. And certainly the history of the internet is that you've been able to talk about your other profiles. And this wound up hitting a lot more people than I think Elon Musk thought it did. So Elon Musk in his life is actually at the World Cup final in Qatar yesterday while he's kind of making these rule changes uh, and announcing that you can't, you can't promote your other platforms, which didn't include YouTube. So it wasn't really gonna affect me necessarily. Uh, but it did affect other people saying other platform names, including Facebook, which is not an obvious direct competitor to Twitter either. So let's take a look at how this went. Uh, but it is, it is pretty interesting to see exactly how, uh, Elon Musk did this, reversed it, is voting on things, uh, and, and how we got from there to here, because I don't think at minimum his leadership style on this, if you can call it leadership is something that puts a lot of warmth or, or feelings of strength in your heart. So, hours after Twitter banned users from promoting accounts on other major social media sites, including Facebook, Instagram, and Truth Social, the controversial prohibition vanished from its policy page. Now, first of all, this is interesting because we definitely saw that references in tweets were getting blocked. I don't know that I actually saw stories about Twitter banned users. And I'm not suggesting that NBC News is lying about this, uh, but I didn't see it. They didn't link to anything. So it is possible they are heightening the danger that happened yesterday here. I just don't know. The new restrictive policy came after many users eyeing the exit doors began posting links to their accounts on other platforms following Elon Musk's takeover as CEO of Twitter and its subsequent reinstatement of far-right accounts, suspension of journalists, and mass layoffs. Now, obviously that list of things is very different. That is wildly varied. The, the, the layoffs were basically always predicted. Elon Musk had said he was going to cut staff significantly at Twitter to both prospective investors and to journalists and, and other folks related to his, his deal. You don't have to like it. You don't have to like, love it. Uh, but I do think some of the effect of it has probably been overstated, especially on the platform itself. Reinstatement of far-right accounts, also reinstatement of left accounts. I, this gets really confusing. He's definitely reinstated right-leaning accounts. He's also reinstated left-leaning accounts, Kathy Griffin, uh, the Krasensteins, uh, other people as well. So you get kind of, just from the selection of how this is framed, a framework that NBC News is going to use here. Uh, suspension of journalists, obviously, in the last couple of days. Uh, and this is suggestive of the fact that people are referencing various other competitive platforms as they are leaving. Certainly some people are. Is that significant enough for uh, the overall Twitter audience? I don't know. 
timelines are curated, right? We select who we follow. So it's a little bit tricky to actually say that. We recognize that many of our users are active on other social media platforms. However, we will no longer allow free promotion of certain social media platforms on Twitter. The platform and Musk were then subjected to resounding criticism for a move that seemed to defy the spirit of an internet built on free market style cross-linking. So let's take a look at how this rule looked like through the magic of the internet archive. This was up for apparently less than 12 hours or so yesterday. And I had prepared these links uh, yesterday with the understanding that they would survive the 24 hours it took to get to Hangouts and Headlines, but I forgot we're covering Twitter. Twitter is where the public conversation is happening and where people from all over the globe come to promote their businesses, art, ideas, and more. We know that many of our users may be active on other social media platforms. However, going forward, Twitter will no longer allow free promotion of specific social media platforms on Twitter. So this is framed as something that they just don't want to be out of the loop for. One of the things we will see is that they will still take ads from these platforms. So this isn't a danger thing, right? This isn't Mastodon is harmful. You don't say that you're going to select uh, ads. If, if Mastodon wants to advertise on Twitter, you will take their money if you believe that that platform is harmful or dangerous. Uh, and so that kind of puts paid to that particular potential lie. <clears throat> And that leads us to the policy itself. At both the tweet level and the account level, we will remove any free promotion of prohibited third-party social media platforms, such as linking out in, uh, using URLs to any of the below platforms on Twitter or providing your handle even without a URL. Prohibited platforms are Facebook, Instagram, Mastodon, Truth Social, Tribal, which I've never heard of, Post, and no Noster? Third-party social media link aggregators such as Linktree and Inkbio. This is actually the one that got most of the people that I saw online upset. So Linktree is kind of a thing that you can put in to have what amounts to a simple page of links for you uh, that you could put in your profile and that could send it out to everywhere, right? And if you're a content creator, uh, very often you will have your Facebook address and your Instagram address and your Twitter address and your YouTube address and wherever else so that people can find you wherever you are. And that isn't an advertisement for Twitter's competitors as much as it's attempting to be an advertisement for you. So some of these content creators said, hey, that isn't right. That isn't fair. Examples of the things that would get you in trouble that tweets would be removed are follow me at username on Instagram, username at mastodon.social. Check out my profile on Facebook, facebook.com slash username. Now, interestingly enough, since primarily what I do from a business standpoint on Twitter is to say things like, hey, Hangouts and Headlines is tomorrow morning at 7.30 a.m., <clears throat> that would appear to be a problem if we were making Facebook videos instead of YouTube videos. YouTube is not listed here, but it could be at any time, right? If you, if you assume this is the way that Twitter is going to go. Accounts that are used for the main purpose of promoting content on another social platform may be suspended. Additionally, any attempts to bypass restrictions on external links to the above prohibited social media platforms through technical or non-technical means, for example, URL cloaking or plain text obfuscation is in violation of this policy, which is intended to say something along the lines of, if you go look up my name without a space on that ancient prehistoric animal platform, then you might find me there, <coughs> is plain text obfuscation. <laughs> Now, I don't think we've gotten to the point where Twitter can actually identify that so as to do something about it, at least not at scale, uh, but they were trying to address everything. Uh, this includes, but is not limited to spelling out dot for social media platforms that use a dot, 
uh, sharing screenshots of your handle on a prohibited social media platform. What is not in violation of the policy? Well, we recognize that certain social media platforms provide alternative experiences to Twitter. Really? And allow users to post content to Twitter from the platforms. In general, any type of cross-posting to our platform is not in violation of this policy, even from the prohibited sites listed above. We don't want you to send people to Facebook, but if you're on Facebook anyway and you want to send people to Twitter, we're okay with that. Very magnanimous of Twitter. <laughs> Additionally, we allow paid advertisement for any of the prohibited social media platforms. Hey, does Truth want to buy an ad? How about Mastodon? Facebook, we will sell them those ads. This is not a danger thing, even though some of the reports that were happening in respect of this policy was stating that it was harmful to try to link out to a place like Mastodon. Now, we've found out through the Twitter files and elsewhere that this is harmful is basically one of the only messages that Twitter has set up to block links. Uh, and so this kind of mirrors the Hunter Biden New York Post story uh, because it wasn't really fair to say that the New York Post article was harmful, that you were being sent to a harmful site, and yet that was the button that they had at their disposal. That appears to have happened yesterday, and yet Elon Musk did what he does, which is that he walked it back very quickly. A few hours after the policy's announcement, Musk appeared to contradict it, saying casually sharing occasional links is fine, but no more relentless advertising of competitors for free, which is absurd in the extreme. He didn't like it. There was no word on whether the policy had been formally rescinded when we showed you that 404 page. References to the prohibition on outside social media also disappeared from Twitter supports feed Sunday night without explanation. So it just went away. The policy was criticized as ironic for a CEO who vowed to be a free speech absolutist, I should say. Some noted that Tesla, the electric vehicle company run by Musk, once encouraged fans to visit its Facebook page. He famously deleted it in 2018. Now, this is not the gotcha that I think they think it is. First and foremost, I don't know that anything about this is famous. I think, generally speaking, people that report on Elon Musk or invested in this universe tend to think uh, some of his actions and some of the things that are done are more prominent uh, than the rest of us small folk. Uh, I don't know anything about him famously deleting something in 2018 regarding this, but that's also important to note that when he is not the CEO of Twitter, he cares less about Twitter's competitive dimension period. Now, Twitter looks to be making this choice to say, hey, our advertising revenue is down. We know this. Uh, we get reports on that uh, across the board because there are a lot of outlets that are reveling in it, uh, that their advertising revenue is down, that people are advertising these other platforms, and he prefer it to not be publishing advertisement to the destruction of his platform. Now, is that something that he can legally do? I do think there are some antitrust questions that could come up. I would tend to lean towards Twitter being allowed to do this, uh, but you never know what a judge is going to decide or what a uh, court of appeals is going to decide. And we are pretty close to kind of restrictions on competition as a concept, uh, which traditionally the antitrust enforcers have been able to look at. And certainly the FTC uh, is acting a little bit more aggressively than traditionally. Earlier Sunday, Musk also apologized for the abrupt policy change. Since then, Twitter has laid off or seen the exodus of thousands of employees. This is from October 27th. More than half its workforce botched introduction of paid verification for users and suspended a half dozen journalists. Musk on Sunday also revealed a new Twitter poll asking respondents whether he should step down at the platform. Yes, he has a poll up asking if he should be removed as CEO, a prospect he previously said would happen in any case when the ship is ostensibly righted and a new chief is sought. This is actually the interesting part of the vote that I saw happening yesterday. As I said, Elon Musk has already said he doesn't want to be permanent CEO. So this is just a matter of trying to get that blessing to him not being CEO anymore. And he might have somebody in mind, or he might just be using this uh, as cover for when he does step down in something like the near term. 
Uh, the policy against promoting other social media platforms, which would have been the most significant change to Twitter under Musk, was among the most restrictive of any social media platform's policies on what users can post. Other social media companies have few, if any, rules about users posting links to their accounts on other platforms. Uh, and I have to take NBC's word for it here because they don't provide any instances of proof one way or the other about what those platform rules look like. Uh, Musk suggested the part of the problem at Twitter is that the rules changed abruptly without some kind of vote. Going forward, there will be a vote for major policy changes. My apologies won't happen again, which is at least strongly suggestive of him doing Twitter votes to decide on the direction of Twitter. Which, if you've spent five minutes on Twitter, you would understand immediately why it's a bad idea. A lot of folks have a lot of thoughts. A lot of those thoughts are not well thought out. Uh, and it's certainly not anything that you should be putting uh, at the forefront of policy shifts at a platform uh, like Twitter. Now, NBC News then goes on an absolute tirade about the fact that Twitter votes are not scientific, which is fair, except that Twitter votes do solve for who is most interested in Twitter, who's most invested in the direction of Twitter, and it doesn't really matter if they're scientific for the purpose Elon Musk would put them to, not the least of which is because Elon Musk can just ignore them when he wants to. Twitter polls are informal, says the NBC News, and the voters are self-selected. That is different from scientific public opinion research, which requires that participants be chosen at random and that the size of a sample population is adequate and diverse for the purpose. Yes, yeah, scientific polls have really been very, very accurate for the last 10 years plus, haven't they? Twitter has never released an estimate of the number of inauthentic and malicious automated accounts on the platform. Those accounts can vote in polls. NBC News. NBC News. Are you really going to come at us? Elon Musk says there's a bunch of bots on the platform, tries to get out of the deal because they're a bunch of bots. All the reporting on this is he has no proof that they're a bunch of bots. And now he says, I'm going to vote on forward stuff, which is probably not even true. But he says he's going to vote on forward looking operational stuff. And you have paragraph after paragraph about how the how Twitter polls are not scientific and could be manipulated by bots. I love you. I love you, man. There are, there are people that are deeply invested in hating Elon Musk. Uh, and there are also people that are deeply invested in loving Elon Musk, which is a bit frightening in and of itself. <coughs> Twitter's earlier rule change left out some major social media platforms, most notably TikTok. TikTok is owned by the Chinese company ByteDance and is ultimately controlled by the Communist Party of China, according to company insiders and critics. Musk has been increasingly called out for his cozy relationship with China ever since he took over Twitter. We can't believe you banned reference to these platforms, says NBC. But how could you not ban reference to more? You're in bed with China. To me, this is an incredible piece of reporting, right? I, you, we have the top end. We have the legitimate concerns about how Elon Musk conducts business, how he comes up with these processes, putting things to a vote, and then you're doing it wrong and you're, you're in bed with China. Okay. <clears throat> Twitter announced the change during Sunday's final of the World Cup, which Musk attended and tweeted from. He was pictured sitting near Jared Kushner, a son-in-law of former President Donald Trump, who founded Truth Social, which was part of the rule change. So I don't understand the purpose of that particular reference. Uh, yes, he, uh, he did ban somebody he's sitting next to at the World Cup final, I guess, or ban reference to them. The rule could come under governmental scrutiny, including from the Federal Trade Commission, which oversees potential anti-competitive company actions. Yep. And the European Union, which has rules about how tech companies compete with one another. A spokeswoman said the FTC had no comment on Twitter's new policy. Again, 
Got to respect the FTC. They don't they don't add comments like the UK and the EU did. Uh, there's just a lot of stuff saying that all of this is problematic uh, and that uh, we got references to Taylor Lorenz, uh, all this other stuff uh, happening here in this. We don't have more to cover, but it is interesting to see that uh, this was all happening with respect to that social media ban. You have Elon Musk saying, I'm going to ask for votes, as we just talked about. And the last thing I did want to mention here, and we're not going to go too in-depthly here because I'm not a European uh, lawyer, is that folks are asking if Europe is going to do something here. And some people believe that some of this rapid change is because Europe is getting more and more feisty. Are Elon Musk and Twitter heading for a clash with Europe's red lines? Uh, Elon Musk's decision to suspend several high-profile journalists drew condemnation not just from the U.S., but also from Europe. Leaders on the continent lined up to criticize the move on Friday. Uh, Media freedom is not a toy, said UN Global Communications lead Melissa Fleming, adding that she was deeply disturbed by the suspension of journalists from the site. And again, the the UN here seems to be reacting as if Twitter is the government. Um, And we can talk about that. If we want to talk about Twitter being the government, there's a whole host of other things that they shouldn't be allowed to do. But as of right now, they're, they're not the government. And media freedom is not at risk for not being able to access Twitter, just like presidential freedom wasn't at risk when President Trump was banned from Twitter. Germany's foreign ministry tweeted that press freedom cannot be switched on and off on a whim. While French Minister of uh, Industry Ronald Lachure tweeted on Friday morning that he would suspend his account in protest until further notice and probably re-upped that announcement that he was no longer tweeting with tweets. His account remains active, but no tweets have been made since, says this uh, article from a few days ago. Red lines, perhaps most notable, was the reaction from senior officials of the European Union, the 27-nation bloc that has taken an increasingly robust stance on regulating the online space. Robust stance is pretty generous from NBC News uh, because Europe is setting its own red lines that are going to come into conflict with the United States pretty directly. The EU's Digital Services Act, that's the DSA that you might see referenced in various places, requires respective media freedom and fundamental rights. This is reinforced under our Media Freedom Act. And again, this is this is Europe, I think importantly, claiming ownership slash control over these digital platforms. This is going to become an issue with US-based platforms as the DSA goes into effect in 2024. Uh, as is quoted here from the European Union spokesperson, platforms will have to ensure that their terms and conditions are clear, understandable, and transparent, all good so far, and respect media freedom. Now, that's interesting in and of itself, because the other thing that Europe's going to ask is that they control and moderate things that are bad. They cannot be arbitrary or discriminatory in their decisions, as if they were a government, right? Governments can't act arbitrary and capriciously because that's a violation of due process. Rogue platforms refusing to comply with important obligations and thereby endangering people's life and safety. So just think about this. Okay, so you ban Taylor Lorenz and you're endangering people's life and safety. It will be possible as a last resort to ask a court for a temporary suspension of their service after involving all relevant parties. So here the spokesperson is saying, once the DSA goes into effect in 2024, if you don't do what we say, if we find you to be endangering people's life and safety because you're not complying with our obligations, we can cut you off from Europe. So all these platforms are dealing with that and the importance of Europe in general, whether they're going to fight it. And we've seen these various tech platforms fight things in Australia and elsewhere. Uh, but here's the ultimate conflict with how the DSA works. <clears throat> Following internal strife at the company in November, top EU official Terry Breton warned Musk that to comply with the bloc's content moderation laws, 
Twitter will have to implement transparent user policies. I think we can all be in favor of transparency. Significantly reinforce content moderation and protect freedom of speech, which are also inherently contradictory, and then tackle disinformation with resolve and limit targeted advertising. So we've got a lot of problems here, but the EU is going out here with statements that say you need to moderate better and protect freedom of speech and then tackle disinformation, which is presumably somebody speaking about things. And this is going to be very difficult for anybody to comply with, especially given that the arbitrariness here is just going to move over from Twitter and Facebook and YouTube and wherever else over to the European Union. The DSA is going to be a very interesting moment in time for the platforms, and I'll probably be covering it when 2024 rolls around. Uh, but you can see Europe wants to have these controls. They're pretty much anathema to the way American First Amendment jurisprudence works. And platforms are going to have to decide whether they're going to yield to the European Union's requests or whether they're going to fight on their own accord. We get a bunch of other stuff here from an NBC News article that basically says the DSA is not going to work because Elon Musk can go much faster than these governments. I don't know uh, whether that's going to work or not. They also talk about the fact that DSA is really more about forcing platforms to remove things. So there isn't a great argument under the DSA for making them uh, platform people. Uh, there was never a conception that journalists would be banned from Twitter because that's not what Twitter does, which is fair. They'd given special powers to journalists at some level for a number of years, which apparently appears to be over uh, under Elon Musk's regime. And that's going to be an issue. This went as far yesterday as a European Union person, this is my tweet, uh, Eric Fresignet, and I apologize for getting this pronunciation wrong, saying, any attempt to remove my tweets that link to my other social media accounts not violating any law would make Twitter editorial media and no longer a social media platform with civil and criminal liability for any illegal content therein, which is clearly a European conception, but he tries to back this up with the CDA. For a legal reference supporting this, in the U.S. context, you may read how and under what conditions social platforms are protected under Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. And this is wildly wrong, right? In any other context, if this isn't a European official, this is a Twitter crazy saying they are a publisher, not a platform, and talking all this nonsense about 230 that we have covered at length in this space. But I will remind you, as I did Mr. Eric, not in the U.S. it wouldn't. CDA 230C2 gives a platform basically total authority to remove anything it finds objectionable. Should that be narrowed, we can talk about that, though probably not with European citizens, but it's pretty specific on this point. It is very specific on this point. Twitter shall not be held liable on account of any action voluntarily taken in good faith to restrict access to or availability of material that the provider or user considers to be obscene, lewd, lascivious, filthy, excessively violent, harassing, or, and here's the important one, otherwise objectionable whether or not such material is constitutionally protected. You, of course, have a freedom of speech, but Congress has said we want these platforms to operate in such a fashion that they don't have to worry about your freedom of speech when they moderate for you. We want to encourage moderation. Uh, and that might go too far. I have talked long about how otherwise objectionable gives total authority to these platforms. And people want to focus on in good faith. In good faith doesn't help you here. In good faith is talking about whether or not it's pretextual, whether or not it's lying, right? They don't really find it objectionable. They just want to do some damage. But there is no reason to believe Elon Musk doesn't find it objectionable that Mastodon gets free advertising when you link to Mastodon. And so whether or not you agree with him, whether or not you think it's an idiotic position, and I tend to, I tend to think it's an idiotic position, our Congress in the United States has said, 
No, you don't suddenly become something else for taking moderation action unless you're lying about why you're taking it, basically. And so Mr. Frazenyet here going and saying, just look at 230. 230 establishes when you become a publisher and not a platform is exactly the kind of legally ignorant argument that you see all across Twitter. But this is also the kind of thing which if we're really taking the European Union to task, might need to be struck as disinformation, right? If we're really going to be calling on these platforms to, to actually strike disinformation, I recommend not doing it. I've had a number of videos calling who watches the watchers, what is misinformation, what is disinformation. Somebody has to decide those things. And if it's the government you're getting into Ministry of Truth type territory, then that's the kind of thing that would have to be removed because 230 most definitely does not support this notion that them telling you you can't link to Macedon makes them something else. And so I would say people really need to be careful about these things. In fact, I did on Twitter, but people come into my comments and say, well, he's not talking about the US. I said, well, that's fine. He's allowed to talk about Europe. I won't talk about what his rules say, and he shouldn't tell people on Twitter that the CDA 230 says what he wants it to say in respect to the U.S. A lot of U.S. outlets aren't getting this wrong. Elon Musk and Twitter clearly have the right to do this on a kind of constitutional level. Could they run afoul of anti-steering provision rules? Could they run afoul of antitrust rules? Yes. Uh, and that would be a very aggressive stance, I think. But hey, we're in aggressive stance land from the FTC and the Department of Justice. That's what I've got on Elon Musk. That's a week of Elon Musk. He might've already had two more polls and done three more things behind the scenes of this video already. I don't know, but I wanted to talk with you all about Elon Musk because he continues to be, I think, one of the most interesting uh, people and operators in technology right now, even if I think he's doing a poor job of at bare minimum presenting a strong bit of leadership and looking like he is sailing the ship in some particular direction. I did want to thank, uh, who, who just gifted some subs here? I did want to thank MZ for gifting five more Hoglob memberships. That is really awesome of you. I appreciate it. We do have a couple of super chats here. Then I'm going to give my voice a little bit of a rest. And we'll see if I do another live stream today uh, or what that looks like. So let's hit those Let's hit those super chats first and foremost. That Sarah says, I think the excuse about Jets is weak. Fair enough, that Sarah. Underlying reason, privacy redoxing can be legit, but he chose the wrong hill aircraft to fight this on, in my opinion. I think he's got a personal bugaboo about it. I, I definitely think that he has long been fighting with Elon Jet. He finds it to be a violation of his privacy, and he owns Twitter now. So I think you can look at it and say, it's really, excuse me, more about him than anything else. But I do think his personal opinion on it is legitimate. I don't think it's a bad faith kind of argument. I don't think he's faking that he's concerned about those things. Uh, but I appreciate it, that, Sarah. Thank you so much. Uh, Raketsu86, welcome back, Hogue. I'm heading back in time to start the replay, but wanted to drop in and say that first. Celebratory emoji. Thank you so much, Raketsu, and thank you for supporting the channel all the time. I really do appreciate it. Um, and my voice mostly held up. I have to give it a little bit of a rest and see how it feels uh, in an hour or so, but I might well put up uh, a thumbnail for another video if I'm if I am feeling up to it. Um, what else does everybody else think? Got the super chats. We just got Riff saying, "Hold my beer. I'm in Cape Town, South Africa." Well, good morning, Cape Town, South Africa. Or probably good afternoon. I think it's got to be good afternoon there. Right? It's already nine fifteen here. Got to be good afternoon. I think. <laughs> Abigail says, "There's 253 likes in here already." Well, there's 900 of you in the chat. If you would leave a like on the way out, if you like this kind of content, you just like my voice. You just love NPR version of uh, Hangouts and Headlines. You're just really enjoying it. Leave that like. Leave a subscribe. Leave a comment. 
all those things that YouTube likes are very helpful uh, to all of this. So I really, really appreciate it. Uh, we just got people saying, whoa, we got prototopics in the house. David is here. I get most of my news from Taylor Lorenz in the Washington Post, says David. Do you use it like the broken compass? Do you just go in the opposite direction of what Ms. Lorenz offers, David? Is that how it works? <laughs> uh, MZ says, cheers, light bulb, cloverleaf emoji. Welcome to Reasonable Minds Can Differ. Eyeballs? Absolutely. Reasonable Minds can certainly differ. And I expect a lot of Reasonable Minds to differ on Elon Musk. I think he's clearly a kind of uh, polarizing figure, right? Uh, Matthew says, I think it's important to mention TikTok was banned on state devices, right? So it seems fair to mention it since it's not in the list. I actually have to follow up on where TikTok sits uh, with some various things. I don't know uh, what, if any, uh, ban uh, applies right now, but uh, various aspects of the federal government have been trying to ban TikTok for a while. There was an executive order from Trump. Uh, there's discussions from Biden. Um, so I, I suspect it, it's on the way out for a lot of important things, uh, but I don't know. I don't know exactly how they're going to handle it completely. <clears throat> Tanya, well, 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 U.S., are we stealing your freedom talking points from you? Here's the thing. I mean, here's where people really get tripped up uh, is there's a lot of freedoms at play whenever we talk about an interaction, any interaction. Right. So what people get tend to get tripped up by is Taylor Lorenz should have the freedom to report on what she wants. Total agreement. Total agreement. Taylor Lorenz should have the freedom to report on what she wants. Uh, Twitter should have the freedom to deplatform her from their platform if they want. Yep. Generally speaking, the platforms also have First Amendment rights and also have the right to operate as private entities as they would. Journalists don't have some kind of superior magic right to have access to social media. It's just that they've so ensconced themselves in their job with access to social media that it feels like they're being put in jail or it feels uh, like government is acting against them when they aren't. There's no risk of being put in a cage. Uh, there is a risk of getting suspended from Twitter, but you don't have a constitutional right to Twitter. Uh, and people can re-examine that. I'm always open to looking at laws and rules and reforming 230 or even looking at the Constitution. But as it stands right now, <clears throat> you have a conflict of freedoms uh, and each side has the freedom. You hear this kind of in a different capacity. When you say you have the freedom of speech, you don't have a freedom from consequence, right? You can say what you will, and we can all decide that you are not somebody to be listened to, as a, for instance. Twitter has the freedom of speech to remove all the journalists that have ever appeared on its platform from Twitter. We would then have the freedom to say, that is ridiculous. I no longer trust you to run your platform, and I'm going elsewhere. And you see that kind of constantly. But people keep kind of raising the flag uh, for these various things. And Europe is going further than the United States. It's a bit more totalitarian, honestly, in enforcing freedoms against someone else, forcing them to platform somebody that they view to be magic or special because they have a masthead above them. Uh, and I, I think that that becomes a problem when you're talking about these issues because honestly, even though Taylor Lorenz likes to deride them, citizen journalism is a thing, right? They use Aaron Rupar as a, for instance, in that article for a journalist that was kicked off, he's got a Substack. Okay, so is a Substack more important when you have 800,000 followers, which just scares me because Aaron Rupar makes a lot of silly arguments. Uh, but is it okay to say that that's a journalist? And if it is, okay, I have 100,000 subscribers, 110,000, thanks to you all. On YouTube, I analyze things. Am I a journalist? I, shouldn't, I certainly wouldn't say so. Uh, but these things all get muddied. And it's important to not have a special class of successful reporters versus 
less successful reporters or to start making distinguishing characteristics about followers or subscribers or members or anything like that. Because some of the most important work that's ever been done in journalism is not by people that went to Columbia or that otherwise have a press thing like a, a Bugs Bunny cartoon in their hat. Uh, and it's really going to become more problematic in the future when more and more reporting analysis, commentary and elsewise is done by people that aren't working for the Washington Post, the New York Times or otherwise. So there's a whole lot to dig into on this. I'm sorry we only have two hours this morning. I did all right. Voice is OK. <clears throat> but um, I think there's just so many aspects to talk about. That's why I like this space. I like hangouts and headlines with you all uh, is because I think we can have reasoned conversations about this where there's multiple perspectives that have a certain amount of rightness, I'd argue a certain amount of wrongness, and, and have those conversations uh, with all of us. But yeah, I'm always going to have a more American political persuasion than a European one. But we can definitely learn from each other and, and learn what works uh, for each jurisdiction. And I certainly think Europe has the freedom, the right, and um, the obligation to police its borders as it sees fit. That doesn't make the United States right in every instance. I just think we're more right in this instance. We could talk about it later, folks. Uh, and that's Hangouts and Headlines today. Uh, did I see MZ gifted five memberships? I did. And I thanked her for it or or him for it. I never know with profile names. Uh, I really, really appreciate everybody that donates memberships. It does super chats. It helps support this channel and this fun that we have here. Uh, I should be back for Hangouts and Headlines tomorrow. I may be back for Virtually Alley. And also, if you could give a shout out to Chinchilla of Evidence, who, as you can see, I've hired as an editor to put out shorts uh, and to put out clipped versions of some of the funny stuff or, or some of the interesting stuff that we talk about in the longer form content. We're going to have more of that stuff on the channel. I think people have been responding pretty well, but I think Chinchilla is just amazing uh, and does some really great stuff with editor, uh, editorialization. I think I've got another short to put up pretty soon that's already in my backlog, uh, but just does a great job. Let them know that they're doing a great job. I really appreciate it, folks. Have a great morning. Have a great Monday. And I will see you on the next episode of whatever that you wind up watching on the Hoaglaw YouTube channel. Thank you so much for hanging in there with me and my voice. I really appreciate it.